thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning. Good to see you again. As always, I'm so grateful for this time that the Lord has carved out for us, a time to put down the the craziness of the week and center our hearts on his goodness toward us. We hope and pray it will be an encouragement to you as we worship together. I wonder as we head into this holiday season, um, how you're doing Uh, How are the busyness levels? How are the craziness levels? I know many of us are, um, are busy right now. We have a lot going on in our lives as we think this time of year about the the deadlines at school and the pressures at at work and the um, family engagements that sometimes feel like family obligations. Uh, We're balancing sports schedules and social schedules and we're trying to do all those other things like get a workout in and remember to send a card to your mom and do all those kind of things. And many of us are, are busy and I think many of us, we might say, are also tired. There's a a triad of issues in our culture. COVID, uh, all of the the racial unrest, especially uh, for you if you're a minority, along with the general craziness of our politics that have left many of us weary. And of course, on top of those things, we're dealing with our own personal dysfunctions and demons too. I came across research from Barna, a Christian polling firm this week that said 38% of U.S. pastors have thought about quitting ministry in the last year. That number rises to 46% of pastors who are under the age of, of 45. And of course, the weariness that we find in our pulpits is matched by a kind of weariness in the pews. So many of us get caught up in the business and the busyness of day-to-day life and find ourselves running from one thing to the next without even having the time to pause and consider whether the lives we're so busy leading are even the kind of lives we ourselves want to lead. And so we come to Jesus, who invites us to something better, invites us to take a breath and to consider what it might mean to live deeply in relationship with with him. And today, he has one more secret for us. A secret practice that at first might not sound like good news, but a practice that if, if we will follow it, if we will actually practice it, will lead us into a deeper kind of life. So let's go to him. Let's go to his word together. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 16 through 18, where Jesus is going to tell us the third and final secret uh, that we've been looking at these last few weeks. Jesus, preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, this is the gospel of Christ. Father, we are grateful for worship, for how you have carved out this day and now carved out this time for us to come and find rest for our souls. We know that that rest is found in, in Jesus and his, his great love toward us. And I pray that as we st- study your word for a few moments together now, his great love for us would be experienced within our hearts. Meet with us, we pray in his name. Amen. These last three weeks then, we've said that generally in the Christian life, as a general matter, secrets are to be avoided. Why? Because the gospel brings freedom. The gospel means that we don't have to pretend to be something other than what we really are. We are saved as we are, not as we ought to be. And so the Christian life is one of freedom and transparency. And yet we've seen again and again that sometimes secrets have their place. Look down with me at verse 1 of chapter 6. This is the the controlling verse, the context verse that sets up the rest of the chapter where Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus will never encourage us to keep our failings or our brokenness hidden. Again, the gospel frees us to live without pretending. And yet he does encourage us to keep some acts of righteousness hidden. In our first week, we saw that he calls us to give generously, but in secret. Not giving that we might have a reputation for being so generous in in our community, but solely giving in response to his grace toward us. Last week, we saw Jesus call us to pray in secret. Not praying in some sort of ostentatious show to prove to everyone else just how spiritual we are, but, but praying to enjoy the intimacy that Jesus has won us with the Father. And this week, he tells us to do one more thing in secret. Uh, what's the, why the secrecy? What this, what's this week's secret all about? Well, let's follow the same outline as the last couple of weeks and ask what we're to do and why we're to do it. Starting with what we're to do, self-evidently, verse uh, 16 and 17, we are to fast in secret. What does Jesus want us to do? What is one of the hallmarks, one of the characteristics of people who follow Jesus? Well, it would be that we fast in secret. If you pull back the curtain of my life, pull back the curtain of your life, see what you and I are like when nobody else is looking, you should find that we're a generous people. You should find that we're a prayerful people. And you should also find that we're a people who fast too. Isn't this self-evident from the text? Once again, Jesus begins with an assumption. Look at verse 16. When you fast. Not not if you fast, but when you fast. Look at verse 17. He repeats it again. When you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. Now, of all of Jesus' assumptions, don't you find this one to be the most surprising? That, That fasting isn't the reserve of like hardcore, crazy, over-the-top Christians kind of over there, but is actually to be a normal, regular, assumed part of the Christian life. Along with finding this assumption the most surprising, I think many of us might find it the most challenging. Why? Because lots of believers have, have wrestled with what it means to give and wrestled with what it means to, to pray, but maybe haven't wrestled with what it means to fast regularly. 
This is perhaps a, a spiritual discipline that has been neglected in many of our, our lives. Many of us are still wrestling with figuring out how we should incorporate this into everyday life. Well, what, what is fasting? In the Bible, it involves two parts. Two parts to fasting, not just one, two, and both are very important. In the Bible, those two parts are first, taking a break from something, in order to second, focus on God. So fasting involves taking a break, but you're taking a break in order that you might do something else, namely focus on God. You put down what matters now in order to focus on what matters most. Let me say that again. That's what, that's what fasting is. You put down what matters now in order to focus on what matters most. So some examples from the Bible. We see Jesus fasting from food. Remember, Jesus says that, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that proceeds from the mouth, the word, the, for every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He puts down physical food in order to focus on the spiritual food of God's word. He fasts to remember where true strength is found. Second type of fasting we see in the Bible is, is physical intimacy. Paul encourages married couples to abstain for a while, put something down in order that they might do what? Focus on prayer. They're to fast to remember that true intimacy actually isn't found in your marriage. Ultimate intimacy isn't found in your marriage. If you expect your marriage to fill the God-shaped hole in your heart, it will become a constant source of disappointment to you. Instead, true intimacy, ultimately, ultimate intimacy is found not in marriage, but in God. And so we fast to remember where our souls can actually be truly fulfilled. Third example from the Bible is, is work. We're commanded, you know, we're commanded to, to take a day off every single week. The Lord did this himself in creation, and we're called to do the same. Why? That we might rest in him. We put down our work in order to rest in him. We fast from work to remember, remind ourselves that our lives depend not on our work, but on God's. This is the pattern of fasting we see in the scriptures. And so fasting, when you think of fasting, don't think of some sort of like, severe act of self-discipline and self-denial. Rather, think of it as more like a humble act of worship. A humble act of, of worship where we put down what matters now in order to focus on what matters most. We put down those things that are so immediate and urgent and attention-getting, which our culture loves everything to fall into that, into that category. We take a break from those things in, in order to focus our attention on and our grow our affection for the God who loves us most. Put down things now to focus on what matters most. Now listen, isn't this a profoundly practical teaching? Like fasting kind of maybe sounds super spiritual, but it is it's really practical. Why? Because Jesus is saying, hey, if you're caught up in the craziness of day-to-day -day life, if you find that you know, you're not running your life. Your life is running you. If your days have become a, a blur of activity and they're all melding into one, do you find yourself going an entire day, going an entire week without even thinking about God? 
Do, do you find yourself in church this morning having really not thought about the Lord since you were in church, in church last week? And you maybe feel bad about that, have a sense of guilt about that, but it just seems to be the way your life is. Well, Jesus says, friends, do you want to escape the crazy? Do you want to live differently? Here's a spiritual discipline that is guaranteed to help. Here is a spiritual discipline that is guaranteed to help. Take a break, pause, rest, in order to deepen your awareness of and your affection for our God, that you might order your life around him. This is why it's been said that we fast in order to feast. We fast in order to feast. We fast from things that seem important to feast on what's really important. We put down the things that seem so urgent and important to focus on the things that are truly urgent and important. We get less of some things in order to get more of God. And so we ask, um, how could you do this? Maybe it's the biblical examples we thought of. Maybe it's a time away from, from food or physical intimacy or work. But, you know, maybe it's something else. Maybe you need to fast from uh, technology, from social media, from your phone, from Netflix. Uh, maybe you need to fast from shopping, always browsing, looking for the next purchase. Maybe you need to fast from exercise. Your day doesn't feel complete and you feel anxious if you haven't made it to the gym. We're to put down the things that matter now in order to focus on what matters most. More on that in a second. But now verse 16, when you do this, when you fast, Jesus says, make sure to do it in secret. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't you love this? <laughs> They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. What a ridiculous crowd of self-righteous creatures. They fast and they make sure to know my life is so hard because I'm so spiritual. And I'm going to look as gloomy and as hungry and as, you know, wiped out as I can. So you will know just how holy I am. Jesus says, Hypocrites. These guys, they've received their reward in full. It's the same pattern we've seen these previous weeks. They only fasted in order to make other people think highly of them. And so when other people thought highly of them, they've received the thing they were looking for. They've received their reward in full. Jesus says, don't be like that. You want some practical teaching from Jesus? Look at verse 17. Anoint your head and wash your face. Brush your hair and wash your face. Right? Uh, that, verse 18, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who sees in secret. So fast, but don't make a big fuss about it. Don't make a big show and dance of it. Get up, get yourself ready, go out and attack the day. Fast, but fast in secret. Why? Because you're doing it for greater intimacy with the Lord who, who sees. Not that you might impress other people. And that's what we get in verse 18. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, there's something unnerving about the fact that God sees us as we really are. There's something unmasking about that, about that reality. So many of us walk around with a kind of imposter syndrome. They've got, you know, if other people knew what, what we were really like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like us like they do. If God knew what you were really like, if people knew what you were really like, maybe, maybe you wouldn't be welcome here in, in, this, in this room. And we say, God does see. God does see and God does know what we are really like. But 
connect to, the, connect to his heart toward you. His heart toward you is, is, is not one of judgment and anger, but it's one of tenderness and love. That God sees you as you really are, and, and he loves you as you really are, and he is the father who loves to catch his children doing right. We've said that again and again these last few weeks, that God, God doesn't look down on you in order to, to find fault with you. He looks down on us by, by his grace, sees us united to his son, and is, is pleased with us as we seek to follow him. And so when he catches his children doing right, he loves to reward us. How does God reward secret fasting? Takes us to our second point. Two things we're going to see. We're going to see God reward secret fasting with freedom and then also with fulfillment. Consider briefly freedom and fulfillment, and then I'll try and give you some illustrations of how these two things pool together. First of all, then, God rewards fasting with freedom. Note that um, by definition, there is nothing wrong with the things that you fast from. So food is a good gift from God. And isn't it? You know, God didn't need to create taste buds. And yet he did. God didn't need to bless us with steak. And yet he did. Okay? Um, he delights to find ways in which to, to bless his children. And so food is, food is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with food. Physical intimacy, obviously a good thing. His idea, designed by him, uh, to be a regular part of our marriages. Work, also a good thing. It's important to remember that work was given to us before the fall. Work was a part of paradise. Work is part of a perfect world. Why? Because we find meaning and, and, and joy and pleasure in uh, imitating God, imitating the creator God when we create things in our, in our own work. Of course, all of these things have been impacted by the fall, but these things are good in and of themselves. And we could this, say the same thing, of course, about technology and uh, about shopping and about exercise and all these other things. We could say that all of these things are good but how quick we are to get caught up in them. How quick we are to take God-given gifts and turn them into kind of man-made coping mechanisms. So here's a quote from Richard Foster. Our human cravings and desires are like a river that tends to overflow its banks. Fasting helps keep them in their proper channel. When we put these good things down, we're able to hold them with a healthier perspective. We're, in, we're able to, to enjoy them for what they really are without trying to use them to give us something that they were never intended to, to give us. Fasting brings freedom. Secondly, as that happens, fasting brings fulfillment. If fasting involves two parts, break, taking a break from something in order to focus on God. Well, the first part, taking a break, brings freedom from the things we are breaking from. And the second part, focusing on God, uh, brings fulfillment to our hearts and to our souls. Taking a break exposes the place these good things have in our hearts. And then focusing on God shows us how these longings can be fulfilled in him. Here's the idea. Fasting reveals the things your heart longs for and then shows you how your heart can be satisfied only in God. So a little theoretical, a little abstract, perhaps freedom and fulfillment. Let's, let's consider a couple of concrete examples for how this, this dynamic of freedom and fulfillment works. Let's use uh, work and technology 
as our, as our examples. First of all, work. We've said it's a God-given pleasure. We've said it's been given to us before the fall. But why can't you put it down? Why can't you stop working? Why do you find that you're spending time with your family and thinking about things in the office? Why is it that whenever your work email blinks, you jump on it like it's an SOS message? You know, nobody ever sent an SOS via email, right? If it's that important, they'll call. As we head into this, into this holiday week, why is it that so many of us will be physically absent from the office, but also physically absent from our families? <laughs> Sorry, emotionally absent from, from our families. Why can't we put it down? What is it that you're hoping work will give you? Fasting gives you the space to figure out the dynamics of your heart. Do you overwork because you're looking for value? Do you feel that in, in your work, you, you get to show that you have, you have what it takes? Maybe that's not it. Maybe you work because you, you need the security that financial stability will, will bring you. When you break from it, the underlying issues starts to bubble up in your, your heart. And after exposing the place work has in your heart, we focus on God to see how those longings have already been fulfilled. You're looking for value? What, it, what does the cross have to say about that? You, you want to be worth something? You want your life to matter? What do you think Jesus has to, to say to you about that? Are you looking for security? How do God's sovereignty and might speak to that? The desires of our hearts are, are not sinful. The desire for value, the desire for security, these, these things are good. The folly is in thinking that work can never give us these things. And so we fast, we stop, we put it down in order to remember that these things can only ever be found in God, it frees you from making work the source of something it can never bring and fulfills you as you experience that you already have those things in him. Freedom, fulfillment. One more example, and let's use technology as our example. Now, kids, teens, I wrestle with this because I don't want to be the pastor who gets up here and kind of has the, hey, kids, get off my lawn, like you're, you know, uh, kind of out of touch with what, what real life is, is like. But here are some statistics. Um, do you know the average US adult will spend the equivalent of, are you ready? 44 years of their lives staring at a screen. By the time you die, at current rates, you'll have spent 44 years of your life staring at a screen. Eight to 12-year-olds in the U.S. now use screens an average of four hours and 44 minutes a day. 13 to 18-year-olds are now on screens for entertainment for an average of seven hours and 22 minutes a day. Now, I think we can all agree, without something sounding like the grumpy old guy, that that's not the kind of life we actually want to lead. We don't actually want to lead a life like this. Sure, there's some of this, and, and some of that is good, right? So, remember, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. These things aren't evil in and of them, themselves. <laughs> One of the ways you know that is, um, 
you would never talk about fasting from something that was sin. You just say, don't do that ever, right? I wouldn't get up here, but talk about something sinful and say, can we only do that six days a week? <laughs> you know, like that's not, that's not, you know, by definition, the things we fast from are, are, are good things, but why are we so controlled by it? Why can't we put it down? What is it that you're hoping technology will, will, will bring you? For some of us, it's numbing the discontent we feel for the lives we actually have. Life feels boring and social media feels exciting. For some of us, we're distracting ourselves from problems in our marriage. Man, it's, it's much easier to put on a game than it is to talk about a problem with your wife. And so often we take the passive coward's route and just distract ourselves to death. For some of us, perhaps we feel insecure. We'll be honest about this. We feel insecure and accumulating likes actually helps. And you know, in a really superficial way, it does. Studies are, are fascinating on how when you receive a like on social media, your brain gets a, a hit of dopamine, the, the joy chemical, the happiness chemical. You actually do feel momentarily better when you, when you, see, when you see a like on your, on your page. Discontent, distraction, insecurity, after exposing the place technology has in your heart, we focus on God to see how those longings are already fulfilled. Again, the, the desires of your heart, don't be fearful of them. Don't be suspicious of them. They've been placed within you in order to drive you to God. And does God have something to say about discontent or fear or insecurities? You bet he does. He has good things to say about all of those things. And he can satisfy those desires if we'll live the way he's called us to. Fasting reveals the things your heart longs for, then satisfies those desires in God, frees you from making technology the source of something it can never bring, and fulfills you as you realize those desires have already been fulfilled in him. We fast in order to feast. I'm wrapping up. How, how am I going to do this? And how are you going to do this? Because you know, Jesus doesn't say, when you think about fasting in secret, <laughs> Um, verse 17, when you talk about fasting in secret, no, wait, go out and get it done when you fast in secret. So here's my challenge this week. Pick something. Challenge this week. First of all, pick, pick something. Maybe for you, it's, it is food. You know, I've I found um, fasting from food is a really powerful tool in seasons of like spiritual neglect or spiritual lethargy. If you found that you haven't thought about the Lord since you were in church last week, fast tomorrow, you won't make it till 9 a.m. without thinking about the Lord. Like, it, that works. <laughs> okay. and, and maybe that's what you, maybe what you need to do. Maybe for you, though, it's work. You know, the Bible does command us to take a Sabbath. One day in seven as an act of worship to the Lord. Uh, here at the church, we, we do our best to practice that really seriously. For me, obviously, it's not Sunday, but it, it's Monday. And I take Monday off like it's my job. Why? Because you know, in a sense, it is. 
I need to remember that the welfare of this church is dependent on God, not me. And oh, beloved, you need a pastor who knows that. And, and so we, we are, you, are you doing that? Do you have a 24-hour period where you're, where you're putting down your work, where you're spending time with the Lord, where you're spending time with your friends and, and family, where you're doing things other than grind? Maybe that's what you need to start this week. Maybe it is technology. Oh, guys, um, we all need to have boundaries around technology, and you'll need to figure out what they are for you. For me, a lot of it's centered around my phone. Um, <laughs> I have, in many ways, the most like useless iPhone ever. Why? Because I hardly have anything on it. It's the dumbest smartphone you could, you could possibly imagine. I don't, I don't have my email on there. I don't have social media on there. I don't have the internet on there. I basically use it as a phone. <laughs> um, why? Because that's good for my soul. That's, it's, it's good for me. I need boundaries around that. Um, married couples, do not take phones into the bedroom, right? Leave your phones in, in the living room and you say, well, I need it for the alarm. Yes, get yourself an alarm clock. Target, $5, done, right? Um, so make sure you don't want to live a life where the last thing you do before you sleep is scroll the screen and the first thing you do in the morning is scroll the screen. That's, I, there's so much temptation. It's so hard to break out of that, but that's not actually how we want to live our lives. It's not actually the kind of people we, we want to be. So have, have boundaries around technology. What, what might those... I like to call these um, personal legalisms. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying everyone should do exactly what I do. But I am saying you, you ought to have some boundaries of your own. You ought to have figured out the dynamics in your own heart and in your own soul. Maybe it's around your phone. Maybe it's around Netflix. Maybe it's around something else. Here's my challenge this week, my encouragement this week. Pick something and just see what happens. Because friends, see if you're busy. See if you're, you're tired. Jesus would, would say, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. Put down the things that are so con consuming. Create a little space for your heart and your soul to breathe. Put down what matters now in order to focus on what matters most and just see if he doesn't reward it with the freedom and fulfillment for which your, your soul really longs. We, we fast in order to feast. And uh, that takes us to the table. <laughs> that takes us to, to the Lord's Supper. Um, one of the things I love about Jesus, <laughs> there are lots of things to love about Jesus, but one of the things I love about Jesus is that he never asks us to do something for him that he hasn't first done for us. This beautiful gospel pattern that, that the way of the believer is the way of, of their savior. And so he calls us to fast, but Hasn't he fasted for us? How has he fasted? Well, in a sense, we say he fasted from, from the glories of heaven. He exchanged the, the majesty of heaven for the misery of earth. He, he put down those things. He set them to, to one side that he might come to earth. On earth, as we've already mentioned, he fasted from food. He put down that thing that was immediate in order that he might find the strength that he needed to fulfill the call of God. But here's my favorite way that he fasted for us. Can you just lean into this little space with me and reflect upon this little gospel nugget? 
this, this little thing that Jesus has been saying to me this week as I prepared this sermon, just the, the beauty of the fact that Jesus, yeah, he fasted from heaven, yeah, he fasted from food, but Jesus actually fasted from life, that he came to earth that he might take on death, that he might lay down his life, that he might descend into hell, that he might put down what seemed to matter so much now for the sake of those who matter to him the most. This gospel fasting of our Savior, where he put down his life, that, that we might experience it with him. And so for those who have received, for those who have been beneficiaries of his fast from life, he gives us this meal. And you know this meal is an appetizer. It's an appetizer of the meal that's coming in heaven. Um, you know, if we, when we say this, this meal is the meal that fulfills our souls, and you're thinking, like, how on earth does this fulfill anything? Right? <laughs> Understand, this meal, it's, it's an appetizer. It's a, a symbol of what's coming, which is full satisfaction with him. And he told his disciples, remember when he told his disciples, when he gave them this meal, he said, I tell you the truth, I, I will not eat again of the fruit of this vine until I eat it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, Jesus, we eat this meal. Jesus fasts from this meal till, till he eats it with us in heaven. We have the Jesus who put down what mattered now, even his very life, in order to focus on those who matter most so we can be partakers of his life.